Over the past two years, the number of asylum seekers arriving in Ireland has increased hugely. And these numbers are still rising. The problem is, as of yesterday, we've run out of places for these people to stay. Meaning that new arrivals may have to sleep rough on the city streets, just as temperatures are dropping and tensions are rising. Perfect storm gets used quite a lot, but I do think we're in a perfect storm. Nick Henderson of the Irish Refugee Council. An expiring and running out reliance on emergency accommodation, one government department carrying the can almost completely, the streets becoming increasingly risky, an emboldened far right, and existing homeless services stretched. So we need urgent action. This is In the News from the Irish Times. I'm Sarah Hapollock. Today, Ireland faces another accommodation crisis for asylum seekers, but this time it could be even more dangerous. Nick Henderson is the chief executive of the Irish Refugee Council. Nick, can you sum up the problem that our system for dealing with asylum seekers is now facing? Yes, it's a very serious situation. And in summary, over the last 18 months, we've seen several things happen. We've seen an increase in the number of people seeking asylum, both internationally and from Ukraine. The system for considering applications has quickened a little bit, but still takes more than a year. At the end of the system, if you do get refugee status, you are finding it much harder to leave, to to get out of direct provision and on into the community. Uh, And there are currently around 6,000 people in IPAS accommodation, direct provision accommodation, uh, who have status, who in theory should be able to move on and out, but can't do so in practice. So the combination of those two things, and then on top of that, uh, a huge government reliance on emergency accommodation delivered primarily through private contractors such as hotels, B&Bs and so forth. Mm-hmm. And Nick, there are currently around 26,000 asylum seekers or international protection applicants, as they're formerly known, living in state-provided accommodation. This time last year, that number was 18,500. And in November 2021, it was just over 7,000. That's a massive increase in the numbers of asylum seekers in state accommodation over these past two years. And that's not even going into the 100,000 Ukrainians who have come here. Can you tell us where are these people coming from and why are so many suddenly coming here to Ireland? Yeah, so they'd be coming from a variety of different places. Uh, I think the top nationalities are currently Nigeria, Somalia, Albania, Georgia, Algeria, uh, Syria. They're coming for a multitude of reasons. Um, People would be fleeing war and conflict in their country. Uh, People would be fleeing um, harsh uh, living conditions um, and trying to make the journey to Europe and remembering also that the number of people who come to to Ireland is a, a very small proportion of the people who come to Europe. And the number of people who come to Europe is a small proportion of the global population of refugees. So we are really seeing uh, a small, very small proportion of the number of people, particularly in Europe, international terms, but also in European terms. Uh, In November, the number of people in IPAS accommodation, as you say, has gone over to 26,000. So huge increase in the number of people. Uh, But also being uh, mindful of what I said at the beginning, which is that once you're in direct provision, 
uh, it's very difficult to get out of it. Uh, and we drew attention to this in a report that we did last October, which made the point that unless people can move on and out of the system, then the accommodation capacity has to grow exponentially. It just has to keep growing. And what we saw in the spring, uh, when around 1,400 people were accommodated over about a four-month period, and what we are now seeing, about to, to see in the coming weeks, we fear, is that the government have simply run out of accommodation. So it's a very grave, grave situation. Uh, not too late, we believe, to retrieve it, but a very grave situation. Just to jump back for people's reasoning for coming here, what about the fact that Ireland is now the only English-speaking nation within the EU? And does that play a role in all of this? Has Brexit and, more recently, the British Conservative Party's hardline approach to immigration, is that pushing more people to come here rather than the UK? It could well be. And the ESRI did uh, an excellent piece of work uh, on this, looking at people's motivations to come to Ireland in particular. Uh, and their conclusions were that there are a number of different reasons. It's not just one single conclusion. Uh, there is no doubt that the UK government policy, which despite having lost in the Supreme Court in November, they still still seem to be persistent in achieving. There's no doubt that the idea of if you come to the United Kingdom, buy a small boat, uh, then we will turn you around and put you on a plane back to uh, or oh, not back to Rwanda. On the never way came to Rwanda. To yeah. Rwanda, where you've never ever been before, let alone probably been on or possibly been on the continent of Af- Africa. That did seem to unsettle people considerably. Uh, it made people believe that the United Kingdom, which uh, was, and I imagine maybe some st- people still believe this, was certainly a place where people thought that they could get a fair asylum claim. Uh, that removed that that perception. In terms of Ireland being the only English English speaking country in the European Union, that would be a, a, a factor, I would imagine. But I think that many of the people who would be coming here wouldn't necessarily have a good knowledge of English. I know that from research done in terms of the U- refugees from Ukraine, English speaking. Uh, country was a factor because people had learned English in schools and so forth. Sometimes people wouldn't have any perception of where they're going. They're simply brought here under the conditions and instructions of a smuggler who bring them to a European country, which is Ireland. What about the numbers of people coming here? Do you think efforts should also be made to dissuade people to come to Ireland? No, we don't think that. And that that's probably not a surprise that the Irish Refugee Council would say <laughs> that. That's our mission as an organisation to support people to who, who are able to get to Ireland. Uh, we think Ireland um, has done amazing things over the last 18 months. Communities across Ireland have done amazing things. And the government has done very well in responding to emergency, particularly in the context of Ukraine. I think it would be, number one, it would be unethical for a small, relatively wealthy country in Europe to start saying to people, you shouldn't come here, bearing in mind, as I said at the beginning, that other countries in Europe, but also in particular around the world, receive much larger numbers of refugees, and those countries have far less resources. And then also, Ireland has legal obligations. It's It may not be to everyone's taste, but it has clear domestic and international legal obliga- legal obligations that must be upheld. Um, that's who we are. We're a modern uh, democracy that respects law. The government does have uh, within its within law the ability, as I said earlier, to provide, in a, in a crisis, it can reduce the quality, if you like, of accommodation, revised to basic needs. It must, but it must always be, meet those basic needs. Mm-hmm. 
And now, as you've mentioned, the government says it has officially run out of housing for asylum seekers and that any male international protection applicants who arrive into Ireland from today, Monday, may not be offered housing. What do we know about what they'll be given regarding supports and where will they go? Yeah, this is a most grave situation. Uh, In terms of what we understand people will be given uh, is that they would go to the International Protection Office, they would apply for international protection, they would be told there's no accommodation. What about women and children? Are we just talking about men here? No, we understand that, and this would be the same as what occurred in the spring, women and children will be accommodated. As a policy, it will only apply officially to single men. They, we understand, we haven't seen it in writing, but we understand that they would be given a voucher. uh, And they would also, in addition to that voucher, apply for something called the daily expenses allowance, which is 3880. So you'd get your 3880 per week plus a voucher. I don't know what that voucher amount will be. I think it was 20 or 30 euro in the spring. I I can check that. And you would be told that there are various services within the city centre that could support you. Uh, including, for example, the Caption Day Centre, the Mendicity Institute. Um, and at those locations, you might be able to get a, a hot meal and a shower. Uh, after that, it seems that you're on your own. And that's of huge concern to us. It was of concern to us in the spring. Gardi are maintaining a presence around scores of tents sheltering homeless asylum seekers outside the International Protection Office after an anti-migrant demonstration here at the weekend. It came just hours after a smaller camp a few hundred metres away was abandoned amid tense protests and was later destroyed in a fire. This is the second time this year that the government has run out of housing for asylum seekers. In May, a group of men ended up sleeping in tents outside the International Protection Office on Mount Street in Dublin's south inner city. But they were forced to move on after their makeshift encampment was burned out after a tense standoff between large groups of pro and anti-immigration protesters. Nick, would you be worried about a repeat of these kind of scenes in locations where asylum seekers are sleeping rough and... What can be done to protect them? Yeah, we would be very worried. And we have uh, that's our principal concern at the moment, is that um, people would not be safe. In the context of what happened in Dublin two Thursdays ago with the riots, we believe that it's never safe to sleep rough. But particularly in the context of those riots, which had a an influence by the far right and an anti-immigrant agenda, it would be actually unsafe. If you were in a sleeping bag on the side of a street, you could easily be targeted. And let's remember that on the the night of the riots, two refugee accommodation centres were targeted, one with a petrol bomb. Uh, So we believe people would be targeted, or there's a risk at least of that. Mm -hmm. In terms of what can be done to protect people, I'm not really sure uh, if anything can be done, uh, apart from a permanent uh, police patrol. Uh, And I I think it was reported over the weekend that refugee accommodation centres and the International Protection Office will receive increased police guard patrols in the context of what happened in the riots. But I really don't think that it could guarantee somebody's safety. One of the things that we observed in the spring, particularly in the early spring when people were homeless, was that 
they people really kept their heads down for a period of time. They moved around within the city. They maybe maybe tried to avail of uh, night to night solutions, couch surfing with members of the community. People slept on the floors of of, of restaurants. Tried to sleep in mosques. People left Dublin. It wasn't until around I think April. Or March, that people began to congregate outside the International Protection Office with those tents. Mm. So we don't know what will happen this time, and it was mu- it's much colder, obviously, this time. Yeah. So this this is going to make a difference. People may be required to use a tent, and that make them more visible. But we do believe ultimately that they are going to be at an increased risk um, of possible harm because of their identity, because of who they are, because of uh, their how they present, um, and and that's of great concern. One narrative that perhaps drives anti-immigrant feeling, although obviously doesn't excuse any violence, is that asylum seekers and Ukrainian refugees are being given housing that could be used to support Irish nationals in need of accommodation. Is that true? No, it's not true whatsoever. As I said earlier, for both refugees from Ukraine and international protection applicants, the principal mode of accommodation is in hotels, guest houses. A lot of both those may never have been on stream previously. They've been closed and then flipped across and received some limited uh, uh, refurbishments. People who come to Ireland do not receive uh, a house. If somebody gets refugee status, they can apply to go on the social housing waiting list like anybody else, they would have to have refugee status. Somebody who's still in the asylum process, still waiting for their application to be considered, does not have that entitlement. And the same applies for refugees from Ukraine. Refugees from Ukraine, they do not officially currently have entitlement to go on the social housing waiting list and therefore they can't also get HAP, the housing assistant payment. So it's completely wrong to say that people would get an automatic entitlement to to a house. People do have, under the reception conditions regulations, which Ireland opted into in 2018, uh, somebody who doesn't have the means to support themselves is entitled and should receive from the government support and that should include a payment which is currently 3880 and accommodation and even in times of crisis there's there's an obligation on the state to provide basic needs. Almost three years ago now the Department of Children and Equality under Roderick O'Gorman launched its white paper which aimed to end direct provision during the lifetime of this government. With this influx of new arrivals and the Ukrainian refugee crisis, clearly that's not going to happen now. So what should the government realistically be aiming for when it comes to accommodating asylum seekers? Yeah, I think we would recommend that they take this in stages. First of all, to try and stabilise the current situation. We do believe that there's capacity within the system to prevent people going on the streets. That might have to use quite unusual methods. We've In the paper that we're going to give to government in the next 24 hours, we recommend that the government do an audit of government departmental properties, that they consider using the defence forces and defence forces land. Given our, our current circumstances that the government say we, they cannot accommodate people, we need an emergency response to prevent people from being on the streets. And the defence forces, both in terms of their person power their physical capacity uh, and any land that they may have and any resources 
that they may have, including tented accommodation. Uh, we would be completely opposed to the idea of tented accommodation, have spoken out against it, but we are in a critical moment where everything has to be done to prevent people being sleeping rough on the streets. And then on into the medium and longer term, we need to be weaning ourselves off the, off this, which everybody acknowledges, the minister himself, including this reliance on emergency accommodation, which is unsustainable. One of the things that I, uh, I've spoken about um, in before is that we seem to be in some sort of vicious circle where um, we need an all-of-government approach, and that would include the Department of Housing. But because of the primacy and the very, very political nature of the housing crisis and the housing issue, the Department of Housing seems unwilling to engage with this issue. Uh, and that puts the reliance back on one department. And the only way that department can try to deliver its legal obligations is through the private uh, emergency sector. That's coming to a head now. We believe that there is an increasingly urgent requirement on the Irish government to pivot and reduce its reliance on emergency accommodation delivered by the private sector and ultimately to start building. And that should include reception centre capacity where people can, can spend the first couple of months in Ireland, where they can receive the support that they need. And then they should be, moved, be able to move out into being accommodated in the community. Minister for Equality Roger O'Gorman said this morning, Monday, that his department has purchased 37 properties for asylum seekers, which will be operated by approved housing bodies and will be, quote, delivered on a phased basis. How effective do you think they'll be with in dealing with this crisis? It's to be commended that they're identifying, and as I understand it, identifying accommodation for particularly vulnerable applicants. But unfortunately... I don't think, and this is obvious when we compare the numbers, that that is sufficient to meet the challenge in front of us. It's laudable that the state is trying to do that with that small number of properties. But unfortunately, you know, the phrase drop in the ocean comes to mind. Finally, Nick, what about the growing anti-immigrant sentiment among Irish people? This is no longer just a far-right ideology, but it's become a far more mainstream concern um, regarding the number of people coming to Ireland seeking support. What would you say to those people? Yeah, I would say that, first of all, I, I think it's important that we acknowledge, as I said, what communities across Ireland have done, both in the last 18 months and uh, for the last 20 years. The history of direct provision for all its problems has been that communities have stepped up to support people. Uh, so it's an acknowledgement and a thanks. Uh, I think it's important that we communicate with communities. So we would always be trying to do that to explain why people are coming here, what their legal entitlements are, and also the responsibilities on people who are, who are here. And also putting the situation into context that this island is not alone in this situation, in these challenges. This is something that other countries in Europe are experiencing. It may not persist in this way. We may be in a, a period of crisis. And let's remember that this situation is exacerbated by the fact that we have a very, very serious war on the edge of Europe. And that has resulted in millions of people having to leave Ukraine. If we didn't have this war, I think we'd be in a much more manageable situation. It's the confluence of the two things, the post-COVID increase in the number of people seeking asylum, combined with the war in Ukraine, that has created this, this situation. And then I suppose also to talk about the good stories and the amazing impacts that people who have come to Ireland have had on our society. 
Uh, I wouldn't agree with some of the Taoiseach's comments in the last couple of weeks, but he did make the point that without immigration, and that includes people seeking protection and asylum, we would be in dire straits. We wouldn't have people working in our hospitals. Uh, our hospitality trade would be in bits. And so we must acknowledge the, the very, very real benefits of immigration, but also be prepared to communicate and talk to people about it. Nick Henderson, thanks so much for your time today. That's all for today. For more reporting on the asylum seeker accommodation crisis, subscribe at irishtimes.com forward slash subscribe. I'm Sarah Kapalik. This episode was produced by Declan Conlon. In the news, we'll be back tomorrow.